0: This is Cornstalks and Sports Talk, your go-to Iowa-based sports show, hosted by the one and only Elliot Clough. What's up, Cedar Valley, and hello to the Hawkeye State. This is Cornstalks and Sports Talk, your Iowa-based sports show, hosted by me, you, and I, Insider for Town Square Media Elliot Clough at Elliot Clough on Twitter. We got a great show ahead of us today. Luke Braun from Locked On Vikings. He's joining us to tell us about that TJ Hawkinson trade from Detroit, how much TJ will impact the Minnesota offense and more. And then Matt Tullifson rejoins the show to preview UNI versus number one South Dakota State happening this weekend. Of course, Matt is from jackrabbitillustrated.com. We are going to break down every single part of that game, what to expect from South Dakota State and more. That game, of course, at 4 p.m. today in the Dome. Really excited about that one. Everybody show out if you can. It's going to be a way more fun if it's loud. So really excited about that game today. But first on this Saturday morning episode of Corn Stocks and Sports Stock. I want to talk a little bit about Iowa and Iowa State, of course, not having ideal seasons thus far in football, basketball just right around the corner, of course, but Iowa and Iowa State both have higher standards than what have happened so far this season in terms of record for their programs. Iowa in four and 4-4 uh, and Iowa State at 3-5 and five right now, they have yet to win a Big 12 game, and you know, it might be just because we're in Eastern Iowa, but to me, what I've noticed is there is a huge discrepancy in the level of criticism or where people are at in terms of how they feel about Iowa versus Iowa State right now. Iowa, Brian Ferentz, Kirk Ferentz, kind of a laughing stock, and then you turn and look at Iowa State, and they've lost five in a row. And the the sentiment doesn't seem to be the same. Obviously, it's not the same. These situations are are completely different, to to, to be frank. But when you lose five in a row, you got to be subject to some criticism, right? And I and there is there is. It's mostly on Tom Manning as opposed to Matt Campbell. Tom Manning, obviously, their offensive coordinator, but. I want to break down why there is this discrepancy between the two. We'll look at overall Iowa versus Iowa State game. We're going to push that to the side for the Hawkeyes. Iowa's losses are to Illinois, Michigan, and Ohio State. Those are three pretty solid programs this year. Illinois looking way better than they have in my entire lifetime. Michigan, Ohio State both buying for the playoff. And then Iowa State, they've lost, like I said, five in a row. Baylor, Kansas, Kansas State, Texas, Oklahoma. All five quality programs. Like let's let's get that out there. That's that's true. I mean, it's not like Iowa has. I mean, it's not like Iowa where they lost or excuse me, they won seven to three over South Dakota State and didn't score an offensive touchdown. And and you know, South Dakota State, a great program, but they're still FCS. Iowa, supposedly one of the better programs in the Big Ten, so there is going to be a discrepancy there. But I'll give you a few reasons why I think the difference in criticism, the, the reason it's valid, why it's legitimate, and then I'll, I'll get into why I think it's more BS than than uh, than it being legit. And you know, you can make your choice yourself where you think that falls, but let's let's just get started. All of Iowa State's losses have come in games where they've been right in it. And like I mentioned, all five really good programs. their biggest loss this season was 14 points to Oklahoma. Other than that, their losses have been by 3-3-1-3 points. These are all good football teams. Like I said, Baylor, Kansas, Kansas State, Texas, and Oklahoma. Kansas not quite as good as we thought they were going to be, but still, they were on a roll at that point in time, and, and Iowa State missed that field goal to send it to overtime. If Iowa State, in my opinion, if they beat Baylor in that fourth game of the season, the opening game for Big 12 play, where they did lose by three points, that horrible targeting call, and I think there was a, a legal block call on Iowa State's defense, if they win that game, things I honestly think are quite a bit different for Iowa State right now. They jump into the rankings at that point in time, in my opinion, because they beat Baylor, who was number 17. They were 4-0. and in my in my view that that's where they're at plus they had just beaten Iowa for the first time in 5 6 years i think 6 years so that catapults them into the top 25 they got that momentum they got that confidence of being one of the top 25 teams in the country they get a little bit of luck going their way and you know i i think they beat Kansas that that next week they only lost to Kansas state by one still went down to Texas and almost won that game i i really think their their level of confidence is different sure they could have Lost two, three of these games, but they wouldn't have lost five in a row uh, if they had been able to squeak out that game against Baylor, where they more or less got screwed, and that's just continued to happen. And it's almost, you know, you don't want to start to think, oh, how are we going to lose this game? Obviously, and, and I don't necessarily think that a lot of these guys on on the staff and uh, on the roster and at Iowa State are thinking that, but it's got to be coming into your head at one point or another in the season. And that situation has just continued and continued and continued. So how do you not have that in your head at that at this point in time and, and in some of those other previous games? Now, we've also seen Iowa State's offense be worth a damn at times, and we haven't seen that basically at all from Iowa. And you could point to the uh, the talent, the actual talent that Iowa State has on their team, and, and a guy like Xavier Hutchinson, who's arguably the best wide receiver in the country, Jirel Brock, who's been solid at the running back position, and Hunter Deckers, who is a four-star recruit. You could say Iowa, just they just don't have that, and that's why Iowa State has been better than Iowa but wouldn't it be worse to say that we have talent and we're just losing? That's that's my vantage point there. And again, we, valid reasons. let's 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 go to that again. First year starting quarterback in Hunter Deckers. I did mention he has clearly got that talent, that super high ceiling. I'm a believer in him long-term, but he is a first year starting quarterback. We have seen some of those lapses in his game, the turnovers, particularly interceptions, and he's taken over for the greatest quarterback in Iowa State history in Brock Purdy. So having that level of expectation for a guy who hasn't played a ton of college football might not be fair. So I, I, I would... I would add that into this level or this this conversation as to why Iowa is getting more criticism than Iowa State. That's what we're talking about here on this Saturday morning episode of Corn Stocks and Sports Talk on AM 950, KOEL, and KOEL.com. Iowa State also a traditionally a bad program. They haven't been really... They haven't been consistently good in a very long time. We'll just leave it at that. And and Matt Campbell has come in and, and done a phenomenal job, but now there's this level of regression, and and maybe that's just a a Iowa State thing this year, and things are going to change going forward. But traditionally, not a good program. Iowa State's offense isn't good, but Iowa's is just pure awful, like tough to watch awful, like embarrassing to tell your friends you're still watching these games awful. It's it's <laughs> gouge your eyes out awful one of the worst offenses in the entire country now not dead last they're 129th thank god after that game against northwestern but iowa state not necessarily receiving that same level of criticism also because of nepotism right there uh, they, that's not a factor in Ames on the iowa state staff so there's that Also, Iowa State has won convincingly. Iowa has kind of done that, too, in some of these games like Rutgers, Nevada, Northwestern. But ISU throttled Ohio. They throttled SEMO, who is ranked in the FCS. And Iowa's wins, lastly, Iowa's wins are solely over South Dakota State, Nevada, Rutgers, and Northwestern. Three of which I just mentioned were blowout wins against bad teams. So... Those are all the valid reasons why I think Iowa State maybe not receiving the same level of criticism as the Hawkeyes, as Brian Ferentz, as Kirk Ferentz so far in this 2022 season. Now, why I think it's BS, why I think that Iowa and Iowa State should be receiving the same level of criticism this 2022 season while Iowa's 4-4 four and four and Iowa State is 3-5, and five, having lost five in a row. I thought the standard was supposed to be raised. I was at that game in 2021 where Iowa State almost lost to UNI. There was this whole, oh, the standard was raised. We're number seven in the country. And then they won 13-10 to 10 over Will McElveen's UNI Panthers. So if you're the number seven in the team team in the country in the FBS, it shouldn't be that close. And ultimately, obviously, they went on to lose the Cheez-It Bowl. And uh, after that Fiesta Bowl win, I I really thought that the standard was raised. I really thought that this team was going to be consistently good. And then clearly they're not at this three and five record. I'm surprised I haven't more heard more of, oh, I thought the standard was raised. I'm really surprised about that. Now, I also thought that Matt Campbell had turned the program around. I thought this was a culture of winning and great recruiting and I guess you could go back to that thing that 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 mantra of the standard being raised with that because where's the success now? It's 2022. It's not 2020 anymore when you went eight and three and went to the Fiesta Bowl. It's 2022 now, and, and I've made that reference to Kirk Ferentz saying, "Flip the calendar. It's not 2021 anymore. You're not 10 and three or 11 and two or whatever they were when they uh, were were good and uh, before the offense took a complete freaking nosedive." But I'm, re- I'm just really surprised that I haven't heard more of that. And I, I, maybe it's because, I, again, I'm not in that Ames area, not in central Iowa, not in a bevy of Iowa State fans. But I, I, uh, I, I think it should be said more. Iowa State, another reason why I think it's BS they're not receiving the same level of criticism as Iowa so far this season. They have lost five in a row. Five in a row. I'll say it again. One, two, three, four, five in a row. Five quality teams, fine. Yes, Kansas, Kansas State, Texas, Oklahoma, and Baylor. All five teams that that have won some some good games this season. But if you're a quality team, you find a way to win games against other quality teams. You also don't lose five in a row if you're a quality team team And that's exactly what Iowa State has done. I honestly don't care who the opponents are, especially in the Big 12. You gotta win a football game and you're playing five in a row. You had that bye week to go to play Oklahoma at home at 11 a.m. on a Saturday and you lose by 14 points, which is the most you've lost by all season. These 3-3-1-3 three, three, three losses, you find a way to win one of those football games. You don't blame the refs. You don't say, we got a young quarterback. You don't say, oh, we have injuries. You find a way to win one of those freaking football games. You get your kicker down there. He locks down and makes the field goal. That's what happens if you're a quality football team. Iowa State... Blame the refs if you want. Blame Tom Manning if you want. They're not a quality football team. Quality football teams don't lose five games in a row, especially with four of them being by one possession. Iowa State's offense is 85th in the country, and if Iowa's was that good, Iowa would at least be 6-2 right now. I guarantee it. Guarantee it. Iowa would have beaten Illinois. They would have beaten Iowa State if their offense was ranked 85th In the country. Additionally, Iowa State's passing offense is 35th in the country right now. And again, if Iowa had that, they'd be way better than what they are. Iowa State has a good defense, but Iowa's defense is among the best in the country. And they show it week after week after week after week. In my opinion, I do think it's BS. If I had to choose one way or another, why I think it's either valid to have that same level, or excuse me, have a higher level of criticism for Iowa versus not valid to have a lesser level of criticism for Iowa State. I know I I made that sound weird, but I'll recap it. Let, let, (laughs) Let me collect myself and say what I think here. What I think... Elliot Clough, at Elliot Clough on Twitter, here on Cornstalks and Sports Talk on this Saturday morning edition on AM950KOEL and KOEL.com. What I think is that it is just complete and utter BS. I would say the word if I could, BS, that Iowa State hasn't received the same level of criticism as Iowa. With the way their offense is played, Sure, the turnovers, but they are ranked 85th in the country. Their passing offense ranked ranked 35th in the country. And if Iowa had that, if Iowa had, if Iowa had Tom Manning, I tell you what, they would be six and two at the least. Probably ranked because their only two losses would be to Michigan and to Ohio State. So that's our first segment this morning on Corn Stocks and Sports Talk. On AM 950, KOEL, and KOEL.com. Don't go anywhere. We have Luke Braun from Locked On Vikings joining us this morning to talk about that TJ Hawkinson edition by Minnesota, what it means for the Vikings, how much better they got, and more. Stay right here on AM 950, KOEL, and KOEL.com for more corn stocks and Sports Talk. Former Iowa tight end TJ Hawkinson was the first round selection by the Detroit Lions in the 2019 NFL draft. After the trade deadline, he's now headed to a team that will actually compete in the Minnesota Vikings. Here on Corn Stocks and Sports Talk, now to talk with us about that trade, about the addition now is Luke Braun of Locked on Vikings. Luke, initial reaction when the Vikings landed uh, former Hawkeye TJ Hawkinson in this trade?
1: So I woke up to it. Um, I'm on the West Coast. It broke about 930 here, and I am a, a bit of a late riser sometimes, right? So I, I woke up at about 940 to an explosion of notifications of like, what do you think? What do you think? Can we get you on the show? So <laughs> I took me a second to process. But the more I've thought about it, the more excited I am. I, I really like this. I have been a fan of Hawkinson. I mean, I, I thought he was worthy of his top 10 pick. Um, I'm not as much of a positional value guy, uh, so that didn't bother me as much. And that seemed to kind of be the only knock. Um, and I think that he, while he hasn't quite lived up to top 10 in Detroit, he's a top 10 tight end. Um, and acquiring a top 10 tight end without actually giving up a pick, you just move down a couple rounds two years in a row. That's pretty great. Um, I think the price is right. And like my my initial reaction was, what is Detroit doing? Like I went straight into, I do locked on NFL too. So sometimes my brain is in like the national perspective. And I, that was why I was up a little later the night before the trade was I was doing locked on NFL. And I was, so my brain was like national perspective going, what are the lions doing? He's 25. He's a cornerstone piece. Why are they giving him up? Wait, that's my team.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There you go. I mean, like, uh, considering uh, what they gave up, have you, you know, uh, I know you mentioned that maybe he wasn't worth, uh, or he hasn't been, you know, that that top ten level type of of pick. That you got like to be like a kittle to be bacon, right? Exactly, exactly. And and so with that package that the Lions gave up. After some time, to you know chew on it, think about it a little bit. Do you, do you think it's fair now, do, or do you no. still feel it? No, you don't. Tell me about that.
1: I I think the the Lions uh, undercharged by quite a bit because a you get a year of team control on that fifth year option, which is essentially a grounds to extend, and that year is a nine million dollars for a guy like T.J. Hawkinson. That price is right, so it's not a problem situation. It's one thing when you see a guy like. Uh, who was the wide receiver that just went for like a fifth round pick or something that was that felt completely insane? And and then you look and it's like, okay, it's a it's a money thing. Um or is something like a couple of years ago, Calais Campbell going to the Ravens for like a fifth round pick, and you're like, How did that happen? Well, it was a money thing, right? It's not really a money thing with TJ Hawkinson. And and a lot of Detroit media said, Well, we just didn't want to extend him. We can't afford the, the price that he'll have to extend him. And the Vikings can. <laughs> That's clearly not the case here, and what I think has happened, and it's really bleak for Detroit, is they have been in rebuilding mode so long that a top 10 pick that they had from entering rebuilding mode after nearly missing the playoffs in 2017, they almost made the playoffs in 2017, they near miss that, they go 2-14 or whatever, they pick 8th overall, they pick TJ Hawkinson, they have been in rebuilding mode for the entirety of his rookie contract. You've gone through a whole generation of players and now they're tearing it all down again and they're saying, well, we want to build this a different way and TJ Hawkinson is not part of that plan so we'll just dump him to whoever. That's insane and to dump him to a division rival is completely insane. Um, look, he can block. He is athletic. My, my comp for him is, what if Ben Ellison at, a, at DSU, I don't know if you guys, you, you guys are familiar with him. Um, great blocking tight end, slow as all get out. Just total corn-fed, blocking, practically an <laughs> O-line kind of guy. Um, what if that guy had athleticism? That's TJ Hawkinson. Uh, he, he can run clear outs down the field. He can separate versus man coverage. He's better at zone blocking than he is on something like power or counter, which is a better fit in Minnesota than it was in Detroit. So maybe that's part of it. Um, that they don't run as pure of his own scheme as the Vikings do, but the Vikings don't run pure zone either. They run a lot of duos. So maybe there will be a struggle there where, where Hawkinson will have to go one-on-one with defensive ends. I'm cu- really curious to see how that works against Washington. Who's got some dogs up front. Um, but just that versatility too, being a three down tight end so that you don't have to have a tell the Vikings were kind of dealing with, they had like the run blocking guy and their passing guy. And that, like they had kind of their guy for everything. And it told the defense what they'd be calling. Not not the case anymore if you can have Hawkinson out there for all of it. Um, so I'm really excited about that. And then just from like a resource management standpoint, you've got a $9 million cap hit next year. A million ways for the Vikings to make cap space. That is one of them. You could extend that, get it down, and do an extension for him. The Vikings are in a situation where they have a lot of leverage and it's really, really easy to achieve a state where TJ Hawkinson is just your tight end one for as long as you want him to be and he's 25 it's a great opportunity and they give up a second and a third for two fourths in uh the next two years so they just moved down two rounds moved down one round um if they win a playoff game it's an extra round so they moved down two rounds twice that's that's not a lot and honestly like if i if you told me you were trading a third round pick for tj hawkinson in march i'd be like oh my god yeah And like they've done less than that and they did it earlier and they actually get some help from him this year. It's crazy.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. wild that and, you know, truth be told, that's how I felt about the trade when I saw it too. So uh, when we look at the the impact of Hawkinson and what he's going to bring to the Vikings this season and and seasons to come, hopefully uh, uh, for the Vikings. I mean, you look at the Minnesota offense and you look at the stats, of course, Justin Jefferson leads the team in a drastic by a drastic amount in terms of receiving yards. And then you got Adam Thielen um, to degree. That's helped with the passing game. How much of an impact will Hawkinson have? I mean, or do you expect him to have in the passing game in terms of, you know, putting up stats like that uh, for Minnesota this season and for for however long he's around uh, the Vikings?
1: Yeah, he is like close to on pace for a thousand yard season in Detroit. I don't think that that usage is going to continue. Also, a lot of that comes from like specific outlier games. Um, But one of those games was against Washington, I think, (laughs) Uh, or at least according to Washington media, they they are like really uh, upset to have to play him again. Apparently, he got he got their goat a little bit. Um, I don't think that that production is going to be really the point, Um, but I think the statistical impact of TJ Hawkinson will be felt by everyone else. Also, and and I mean he'll still get his, you know, 700 yard pace or whatever, but maybe not a thousand. That's a lot for uh there's a lot of of market share going to Justin Jefferson, so that's a, a tough ask. But when you can say, block uh the backside of a zone run really well, which he can, or the front side of a zone run really well, which he can. What you can do, let's let's say you've got um you're, you're running zone strong. So you've got TJ Hawkinson is like a lead blocker of sorts, right? And you're running play action off of that. Well, if you can run zone strong really well, the defense will respond with over fronts, which is going to get more people over onto that side. They're going to start weighting things to that side, get safeties to rotate down to that side. And then when you boot the other way, um, that play action like the the there's just a little more space to work with things will be easier that's the kind of impact you can have when when that can be the same guy and by the way maybe he can leak out and actually be part of the the play progression as well where you know if you were going to do that with irv smith you wouldn't get as good at blocking on the run game and, and maybe they wouldn't feel you know the linebackers might play it a little differently like all this stuff is like symbiotic you can listen to coaches talk about it all the time and just that marriage of run and pass and how those things interact with each other the shape of of run and pass um when you're when you feel comfortable play action faking you know you don't necessarily feel comfortable running calling a play action bootleg with ben ellison on the field who can block the run that you're faking but can he actually run the route and catch the pass um hands are fine but he can't get open because he's too slow <laughs> not a problem anymore um so that kind of stuff will happen and when you can run more of those plays it's not that we're necessarily always targeting dj hawkinson but it's that he can be the deep route Uh, the the deep post because he's fast enough on that. And now you're, you are, are clearing out a safety or maybe even a cornerback and you're only using your tight end to do it. So that means that you're that much more likely to get a good Justin Jefferson matchup and all of that stuff will sort of ripple out. So I've been kind of saying Jefferson's yardage total just went up 300 yards.
0: Oh, that's wow! Yeah, that's yeah, that's a lot of yards right there. Um, again, again, Luke Braun joining us here from Locked On Vikings on corn stocks and sports talk on AM nine fifty KOL and KOL.com Talking this TJ Hawkinson trade now. How much does this increase the ceiling for the Vikings? Because I mean, the the talk nationally is generally eh, you, you know you'll you'll win some games in the regular season, but Kirk Cousins won't be able to get it done in those big moments. How much more does it raise that ceiling for Minnesota? Can Considering uh, what we've seen from from Kirk Cousins in those bigger moments.
1: Well, sure. I mean, last time Kirk Cousins was in the playoffs, he uh, tossed a giant post in overtime to to Adam Thielen, right? Like the. I, I don't really believe in ceilings for anybody, but if you look at this NFC in particular, it's like the Eagles and everyone else. And the Vikings right now have a stranglehold. They've got a game and a half lead on the two seed, which means multiple home playoff games if you win one. So I I say, who has a higher one? What, are we going to lose the Falcons in the playoffs (laughs) coming out of the seventh seed? No. I mean, maybe, right? Because they don't have a ceiling either. But once you get in the dance, anything can happen. That's what I'm saying. So right now, the way I see the the Minnesota Vikings, they got like a 96% chance to make the playoffs, give or take, depending on which model you're looking at or, or how you feel about them, right? They would have to collapse so hard to miss the playoffs. It would be historic. They have done this before. That is, we're not ruling that out. <laughs> that happened. If you remember 2003 2016, any of the Mike Tice years, that happens. Uh, but it would have to be pretty spectacular at this point. Um, assuming that doesn't happen, you're in the dance and you're probably playing at home. Get a little momentum and shoot. You're gonna I mean, at a certain point it's like, well, of course they'll win the home, but what about when they go on the road? Well, at that point they're two games away from the Super Bowl. Like <laughs> what you ever won two games in a row before? <laughs> Not that crazy to imagine. Um, and, and playoff games are difficult and they're of, of course a little bit different, but it's a single elimination format. Weird stuff of course can happen. And the Vikings sure are good at generating weird stuff.
0: Yeah, that they are, yeah, including the Minneapolis miracle, of course, which we all mem- remember from, from five oh, yeah. years ago. So, uh, uh, last thing from, from me here at Luke this morning is where, or where do you see this going forward for the Vikings the remainder of this season? Is it a clear path to a division title for them right now? Because the rest of the NFC yes. North... Yeah, okay.
1: Tell me more. So, well, they got a three-and-a-half game lead. Um, the magic number as we stand here is seven. What I mean by the magic number is how many the combination of Vikings wins and um, either Bears or Packers losses. You need to fulfill both conditions, right? So if the Vikings win four games and the packers lose 3 games, vikings clinch the division and the same has to be true of the bears. So if the vikings win, they can go 4 and 6 and the packers would have to go 7 and 3 and the vikings would still win the division. That's that's how far out this has this has gotten because of how much all of the other teams have collapsed. So it would be a miracle for the vikings not to win the division. Again, these kinds of collapses have <laughs> happened here in the state of Minnesota and it's not wouldn't be the craziest thing. Certainly crazier things have happened, but it is Pretty unlikely. Um, and at that point, you're playing at home. Maybe you're playing at home twice. By the time you have to go on the road in the playoffs, it's literally the NFC Championship. I, I don't know what's what the ceiling is, but you're literally playing for a chance for, to go to the Super Bowl. So I, I, ceilings don't exist. Ceilings in a single... Ceilings might exist in the NBA where you got to win best of seven series. Ceilings might exist in the NCAA where it's a 64-person tournament. Ceilings don't exist in the NFL. Once you get in the dance, Eli Manning can beat... Tom Brady, six-seeded 2005 Steelers can go in the Super Bowl. It happens.
0: Exactly. There you go. Luke Braun joining us here from Locked On Vikings on stocks and Sports Talk on this Saturday morning. Luke Braun is at Luke Braun NFL on Twitter. Follow him for all the Vikings coverage. Luke, we appreciate you hopping on today, man. Yep, yeah, always. All right, don't go anywhere. We will be right back with Matt Tullifson of jackrabbitillustrated.com. Joining us to preview that UNI versus number one South Dakota State team happening today at 4 p.m. in the Dome. Stick around for that and more Corn stocks and Sports Talk. UNI football has won three in a row, coming off a crazy win last week at Southern Illinois, and now they're back at home to take on the number one team in the country, South Dakota State. Now joining us on stocks and Sports Talk on AM 950, KOEL, and KOEL.com to preview the game is Matt Tullifson of Jackrabbit Illustrated. Matt, last time we talked, it was before the season even started, and we previewed that SDSU versus Iowa game, which we all know was quite painful to watch. Uh, It's been a short (laughs) nine weeks since then. Um, What are some key takeaways that you've had regarding the identity of this Jackrabbit squad and, and who they are in in 2022?
2: Ah, Great question. So if you watch that Iowa game, you do know we have a strong defense. Um, And if you watch that Iowa game, you may have the perception that our offense isn't very good this season, not your typical jackrabbit offense. um, But that couldn't be further from the case. Um, Mark Gronowski is back. We talked about him last time. He is fully recovered now from his ACL injury, appears a lot more confident, and has really progressed as a passer as this season has gone along. Uh, The Jacks are now although averaging 31.4 points per game, so they've really picked it up um, in 49 points in the last two contests, so the offense is doing great. Uh, The defense, like I said, has been phenomenal, really stout against the run, 2.5 yards per carry. And uh, they have just been incredibly fun to watch uh, this year. It's the best Jackrabbit defense that that I can recall in the Division One era. So,
0: well, and that's saying something because SDSU continually one of the best defenses in the country. Uh, obviously, number one in the FCS. So, so this year is is definitely uh, special. Um, now, now in regards to that that defense, has there been anything that you have necessarily seen or that has been Maybe somewhere opposing teams, although they haven't taken advantage of it to the point of winning against the Jackrabbits. Have they been able to take advantage uh, of some maybe small weakness or, or anything that's that sticks out to you about the uh, SDSU defense?
2: Sure. So so early in the season, there were blown coverages. And, and when we do look at you and I in the deep passing game, and that Theo Day excels at that's definitely a cause of concern for for me when I look at the game uh, they have shored that up a little bit in the past few weeks uh early in the game against NDSU and UND when both those teams were up by 14 points over the Jacks they were really having a lot of success um keeping the Jacks unbalanced um they're moving the ball well through the air and on the ground and um uh, and protecting the ball they weren't committing turnovers at that point so that's a huge piece too that maybe we can talk about in a bit so yeah
0: yeah why don't we just hit it right now tell me about it
2: sure so so i have dug in and did a little bit of research on this and and you and i and sdsu have played each other 12 times in the past 10 years um it's just a, some crazy some crazy stats here that i posted on twitter each team has six wins in those 12 matchups uh, total points scored sdsu 279 you and I, 273. Uh, this one kind of blew me away a little bit. The average margin of victory is actually 12 points in this game. So I thought that was wild. And then I, this one on turnovers. So getting to the turnover piece that I mentioned when SDSU wins, they're plus 0.83 in turnover margin, but in there, in, when you and I wins they're plus 1.33. So turnovers really matter in this game as usual. We know that. And on the year, SDSU is plus 12 in turnover margin, which leads the Valley by a long shot. So they're taking care of the ball and they're forcing some really timely interceptions, uh, fumbles, that kind of stuff. So we'll see if you and I can take care of the ball and actually, you know, when sustained drives, not give Jack's good field position. Um, yeah, this is going to be a tight one.
0: And and so speaking of of that, you know, you and I, I mean, obviously Theo Day isn't, isn't turning a ball over like he was last mm-hmm. year. Just four interceptions so far this season, as opposed to uh, eleven picks last year. Um, he's already outpaced his his touchdowns. Uh, Nineteen so far this season, just sixteen last season. Same thing for yards. Um, but. In regards to the SDSU defense, you mentioned some of the, the lapses in, in the secondary. Mm-hmm. If I remember correctly, you, you told me that the secondary is going to be a little bit or has been a little bit younger uh, this yep. season than than years past. Is 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 that has that been more or less the issue? And now that they've got some experience, they've really started to figure things out.
2: Yes, yep. Some of the blown coverages early in the year were the young safeties and. um They've actually got back both of the experienced safeties that had been out for various reasons. Uh, but the young safeties, really highly regarded, highly recruited, have seemed to figure it out. Um, Kobe Herter from Texas leads the team with in the interceptions um, and just kind of a ball hawk, really instinctual. And the corners have been, I would say, much better than I anticipated. Uh, Malik Lofton is, is starting on one side and hardly getting the ball thrown at him um he has 15 tackles on the year as a starting cornerback teams just aren't throwing at him and Deshaun Gales Dallas Beanham, those are names that you'll see Steven RL uh, is a big corner I'd, I'd imagine he might match up at some point with some of one of the bigger wide receivers that you and I has you have some really talented uh physical specimens on the perimeter along with those uh you know those speedsters. So. I'm, I'm really interested in, in, in some of those matchups. And if we're going to see SDSU shift out of their traditional four, three defense at times and, and, and put five, six defensive backs on the field. Um, you know, we have a couple key contributors out as well at the linebacker position with Adam Bach being out still with the leg injury. And then Isaiah Stalbert, who, uh who is a terrific hybrid safety linebacker that we have. Um, he's out for the first half with targeting. And so, two of our best coverage linebackers are going to be out. And so uh concerned about that. Definitely. So I was,
0: I was actually just going to ask about Bach. Uh, <laughs> is he going to be out for, for quite a while? And, and uh, have you seen the, the direct impact on the, on the defense already with, with his ah, absence? Yeah.
2: yeah. So he will be out um until, you know, second round of playoffs, third round of playoffs, I think is being optimistic. Um SDSU only has two regular season games left and ends with the bye. And is still hopeful for a first round buy in the playoffs. So that would be nice to be able to heal up and get him back. Um, in terms of what the defense has done differently, uh, two very very experienced players, Peyton Schaefer, Savion Williamson, have stepped in and played really well. They're seniors, um, or you know, senior COVID. COVID's so weird with these seniors right <laughs> yeah. now, but yeah. they're seniors, and so they've been around the block. Very talented, very smart players. Uh, Williamson is probably the better athlete. Um, Schaefer is definitely uh maybe the more assignment sure player of the two Um, but both coach rogers the defensive coordinator and linebackers coach really trust both of them uh to be in there so there hasn't been a huge drop off but man adam bach though is one of the best in the business like your linebackers too so right exactly
0: Exactly. Again, Matt Tullifson joining us from Jackrabbit Illustrated to preview that UNI versus number one South Dakota State game happening this weekend in the Dome, today in the Dome. And we're talking here on Cornstalks and Sports Talk on AM 950, KOEL, and KOEL.com. So you mentioned Mark Gronowski and and his play so far this season. Could you tell there was a little bit of rust uh, when when he came out? um, And and how has that uh, improved as the season has gone along?
2: Yes, definitely. I think uh, anytime though you open your season at Iowa at Kinnick, with you know that crowd bearing down on you, uh, it's going to make anyone look a little rusty, probably. Um, <laughs> and and uh, he's really progressed though. I mean, he just looks like a much better passer than he did even his his freshman year when you saw him last. Um, he's he just he's been efficient. He's not putting up a ton of yards. SDSU's offense has been more methodical this year. Than maybe explosive, and that has changed a little bit too in the last couple of weeks with the return of Tucker Craft, um, who was injured in Iowa, made his day season, you know, his return against North Dakota and last week against Indiana State. Man, some of those highlights—if you haven't seen them, you got to go back and watch. Tucker Craft is a treat; uh, he's, he reminds everyone of Dallas Goddard. You know, uh, Bradley Moore for you, you and I fans that are listening, just phenomenal athlete freaks, you know, with their size, speed combination and ability to make plays. So
0: that's a nice, briley Moore name drop here on Cornstalk yeah. Sports Talk. Today. <laughs> I'm here for it. I'm here for it. But um, a- another offensive player that that you and I fans know, Isaiah Davis um, taking over for Pierre Strong in that in that top uh, running back spot for for the Jackrabbits. You know, more recently, you and I has more or less been able to handle Pierre Strong in in these Mm matchups with with the Jackrabbits, especially last year and and just a few years ago. Um, So are there similarities between Davis and Strong? Do you is there any reason for you to believe that maybe you and I will be able to do the same thing that they did to Strong uh, with Davis?
2: Oh, man, I don't know. Your guys run defense (laughs) is so stout with those linebackers running downhill. You know, digging into your numbers, you know, uh, run defense doesn't look that good initially. And then you dig in and see that you take out the Air Force game and you're allowing 3.4 yards per carry outside of that. My goodness. Um, but back to your question, uh, Isaiah Davis and Pierre Strong are not similar in any way. Um, besides that they can maybe both be home run threats, you know, at, at various points. Um, is definitely a faster player. Isaiah, a more powerful player um he you know he he did get banged up against NDSU he didn't play against UND and then he um just played the first half against Indiana State and it was just a precautionary thing with the score being out of hand um anyways at halftime so um uh, Isaiah is an awesome player uh, very physical very um a good receiver that's an underrated part of his game he's a great you know, that, that's his first time touching the ball was against UNI in the spring season. And he made an awesome catch on an arrow route out of the backfield. So uh, that's been fun to watch. And uh, we just hope he's healthy, you know, and coming back. And his full strength because he is a special player when he is healthy.
0: And I take it he's been dealing with some some injuries at this point in the year.
2: Yeah, just not 100% sure what it was against NDSU. But yeah, they just, again, held him out. With cautionary reasons for UND and then first half against Indiana State. So, huh. Yeah.
0: Interesting. Uh, I guess. Yeah. We'll see in the dome uh, on Saturday today uh, that these two teams are playing. So I saw your prediction on Jackrabbit illustrated the website. Um, tell me, tell the people what it is, what your prediction was and, and how you came to that conclusion.
2: All right. So this week uh, my prediction is 45 to 28. And uh, again, that's, that's a lot of points for this Jackrabbit defense to give up. And I think it's a lot of points for you and I to give up as well. Um, but I, I just don't right now um, see, see the depth on you and I's defense to to uh, you know put together a full sixty minutes against this jackrabbit offense. Uh, again, with Tucker Craft, with Mark Kronowski, with Isaiah Davis and the Yankee Twins we haven't even mentioned yet. There's so many weapons on this offense, um, and the Jacks just at this point in the season, outside of you I or outside of Iowa. Uh, haven't been haven't really been slowed down yet. Um, it, the offensive line is clicking, and I think that SDSU has just forced enough turnovers this year. They're going to figure out a way to turn over you and I, and that's the prediction I, I think. So both teams have a lot to play for. So that's what I am predicting.
0: Oh yeah, if <laughs> if you and I does pull off the victory, how would you think that they do
2: it? Oh man, um, you know I think they're going to like we mentioned earlier. They're going to continue to find a way to keep SDSU really off balance on defense, um, you know, using Dom Williams and McShane to run the ball um, in the past. That's where you and I has had success, right? They've get, got uh, three and a half yards for carry, and then they were able to hit Isaiah Weston or Fountain down the sideline for a big bomb uh Isaiah Weston I think I, I'm still gonna have nightmares about him you know five <laughs> years from now um <laughs> happy he's gone but man it sure seem, seems like you I has replaced him with just a a bundle of wide receivers now man so uh,
0: they have I, we just <laughs> talked to Theo Day about it on on Wednesday I mean Sergio Morrency Sam Schnee Desmond yeah. Hudson obviously no Alex Allen uh, yep. This this coming uh, week and for the rest of the season, for that matter. But uh, uh, yeah, I, maybe in the playoffs. Now that I say that, I he's not going to be back for that game uh, against South Dakota. But. Yeah, so we'll see. We'll see, man. I, I'm really excited. The dome is going to be crazy loud, like louder than we have probably yeah. heard it in, a, in quite a while. So it'll be a fun cool. game. So he is Matt Tolufson from Jackrabbit Illustrated. You can find him on Twitter. It's Jack Illustrated there. Matt, we appreciate you hopping on, man. Good to get this preview in but before the game today.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me Elliot. And that'll do it for this week's episode
0: of Corn Stocks and Sports Talk. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Don't forget before you go, make sure that you subscribe and follow, depending on where you are listening to this podcast. You leave that rate and review on Apple Podcasts. That does really help us out so much. We've had a little bit of an uptick on those rates and reviews, so if we could keep that going, that would be awesome. We also have these two guest segments on our YouTube page, so make sure you subscribe there before you go as well. Once again, folks, my name is Elliot Clough, at Elliot Clough on Twitter. I'm a UNI insider for Town Square Media, and this was another Saturday edition of Cornstalks and Sports Talk.